Hello, welcome back to this episode of the Peak Results Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rich Fournier. And in this amazing episode, I sit down with Stephanie Vitaco, a Keller Williams agent who's one of the top individual agents in all of the United States. Now, Stephanie is a powerhouse agent with over 6,000 transactions during the course of her career. She consistently produces incredible numbers through good markets and bad. In this episode, Stephanie drills home the importance of consistency and desire in a very, very tough market, the value of failing forward, and why she's convinced anyone can tie up an area with two years of persistent farming. Now, Stephanie gives three practical methods for pulling yourself out of a slump and why coaching is valuable at every success level and why it is imperative that you know yourself when making business decisions. So stay tuned to this amazing episode. Have you ever wondered why some people thrive in all areas of their life? Welcome to the Peak Results Academy podcast with your host, Rich Fournier. Each week, we interview industry experts who consistently dominate in the fields of health, business, and beyond. Our mission is to share their personal struggles and strategies so that you can create your own peak results. Well, hello, everyone. Rich Fournier here from the Peak Results Academy podcast. Of course, I'm your host and I'm absolutely thrilled to be sitting here with Stephanie Vitaco. Keller Williams, um, who is performing at such a level that I'm hoping to get her on for a second one. I haven't even told her that yet. 194 individual transactions last year in the residential real estate game. Stephanie, thank you so much for being with me today. My pleasure. I have to say that because, listen, if whoever's listening, if they're not in real estate, they have no context. But anyone who's in real estate who listens to this podcast, you know, like, I'm in the Toronto market. If someone's, you know, the average person does four, um, and that's not true, 25% do zero. Um, so teams are doing 100 deals. And you did 194 yourself with admin staff, but still you're the one in the, in the living room. Like the amount of work and effort it takes to create that is outstanding. And my job today on this podcast is to really figure out what has allowed you to create a peak result in the business world of real estate, Stephanie? Right? Yep. I, I will share all. I will tell all. There's no secrets. It's just hard work and consistent work. Right. So if you don't mind, I mean, listen, this kind of level doesn't happen overnight. And I'm sure that when you got started, you know, there were moments of insanity where you were questioning why you're in this game, but would you mind taking us back to that place? Well, let me just clarify. There are still moments of insanity. <laughs> Real estate is, is a contact sport and it's pretty insane, especially when you do it at, at this level or this with this dedication. Um, but yes, no, it was, it's, uh, I think it's like with anything, you know, anything that's worth having is not just one, two, three, easy, you have to give extreme dedication. You have to hone your skills, and it, and it takes time. You, I learned by smashing my head against the wall again and again and again. And, I mean, when I was a new agent, I had absolutely no money. I drove an old, beat-up car that was two doors, and it was embarrassing. And I remember when... In the beginning, I was taking a buyer around. I was in the business maybe 12 months in a two-door hatchback. And this gentleman gets in my car and he's like, 
six three and his knees are up to his chest and he says so are you new you know it's humiliating but you have to start somewhere and I didn't have uh, any resources except for what I could come up with so I just figured that this is what I wanted to do um, and I dedicated myself to it and I didn't give up until I could get past the breakwater let me ask you a question. You made it still, even though you said you banged your head against the wall, there was a moment, there was a defining moment when you, you okay, you made the decision to get your license. That's one. Then you made a decision to be in the business, but that's not the decision I'm interested in. There was a decision that you said, I draw the line in the sand right now. This is it. Do you remember that time? Was there a catalyst that made that happen? Um, I think when, so I was, I was very, very young when I started. And maybe it was just because I didn't know any better. <laughs> so I wanted to, it was very important to me that I would be able to be financially independent and it would be up to me. And I knew I was not smart enough to invent something. Um, I was not, you know, of the academic route to become a um, physician or something along those lines. That That's not that doesn't work for me. And I had a, an acquaintance that I knew that was in real estate and he was the same age as I was. And I heard he was, had, he was earning all this money. And I thought, you know, I think I can do that. I'm going to give it a whirl. And I jumped in and it just fit. It was just a good fit. I enjoy the action. I enjoy the, um, the, I enjoy that. I know if I work really hard, and hone my skills and my craft, I can do this. And it would be up to me. So I wouldn't be relying on um, other people or going to school for 10 years to have a very specific outcome. So I think that for me in the beginning, I just knew if I wanted to be financially independent, I knew that real estate was a way to do it. And starting broke, I mean broke, no money, um, I come from a family that is rich in love, but not in money. And so I think I'm going to have to do this on my own. And when you get it, when you make that decision that I'm going to do this and you have no money, I remember I was had a Dodge caravan married three kids under three, like no money. I was broke. I'm no like, money. Yeah. And I remember just, I was so embarrassed. Stephanie, I was like, I pull up in my Dodge caravan beat up, stinking like baby throw up. And I remember going, Okay, I, and I parked down the street. Yes, me too. And I said, no, you can't drive in my car. You know, there's license. You know, no, you got to meet me there. And I was so embarrassed. And, and it, it was so hard. And I hear your story and it resonates with me. And you, you're operating at a higher level than I have ever operated at. Um, how did you generate your relationships, Stephanie? Like, if you were young, your peer group wasn't buying... You know. Oh God, no. And I, when I was young, I looked really young and people would always say to me, how old are you? Right. You know? And I would, I literally, I would be dumbfounded because I didn't want to tell them how old I was because in many cases I was younger than their kids and I knew they would judge me or discriminate against me. So I had that objection to overcome. Now, mind you, nobody asks me how old I am any longer, <laughs> but, um, yeah. pardon me. 32, 30. Something like that. Close. Um, 
So it was, it was because everybody thought she's so young and you know, you don't know anything. You're young. How could you have any experience? And I would literally, that was a big objection for me. And I would say, listen, I'm young, but I'm very hungry. I'm very aggressive. Give me a chance. Just give me a chance. Do you remember when you were young and you wanted something and you were willing to work for it? That's me. And I said it with conviction and I meant it and people would give me a chance. Not always. I used to go up against people like myself now who were seasoned and I just couldn't compete with them. They would be like, look, we like you, but you know what? This person's been doing it for 30 years and their track record is this. And I'd be like, oh, so, um, but I kept at it. I didn't, I didn't give up. Yes. Uh, I did, you know, have meltdowns regularly. It was very frustrating, especially when I would, you know, take a client out for a year and show them every weekend and then they buy from somebody else or list with their house with somebody else. Heartbreaking. Um, but uh, that's just part of the business. And if you can't learn to develop a thick skin about it, um, you won't, you know, it's not for you. But to this day, it really bothers me when I don't get a listing. It just bothers me. So I think it's just part of it. It's part of it. When, um, Two questions I have right now, just based on what you're saying. What gave you the strength of character to be able to say to someone at a very young age, so early 20s, I'm assuming? Um, I was yeah, barely, barely 21. Barely 21. But like the strength of, like I was on top of a bar at 21. <laughs> like blowing my life away, like made tons of mistakes, right? So when I look at the strength of character it would take for someone at 21 to say, give me a chance and, be, and have conviction that's a different level of maturity. Where'd that come from? Well, I think, you know, I think, I think it's, it was just my nature. I mean, um, when I was 10 years old, I was reading books on what I was going to do for a career. I was concerned about my career at 10 years old, a little high strung. Um, so I think part of it is just, just my nature. Yeah. Um, I knew that I really, really wanted to have a direction where I didn't have to rely on anybody. So for whatever caused that in me, that was my focus, to be self-sufficient and that to have stability financially. Tony Robbins talks about six basic human needs. Um, one of them is certainty. Yes, I like certainty. I really like certainty. What are the other ones? It's the craziest business to have certainty in. So you must like uncertainty, like you must love the variability and the craziness and you know, oh, like, I like the action. Like the I action. really, I like the action, but I like the certainty to know. I, I didn't want the uncertainty of a set salary would would confine me to, because right. I knew that that kind of certainty would not work for me. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it at all. And believe me, I give up a lot to be able to do what I do. Right, like with a nine to five job, you have weekends off, you have your mornings off. And I'm talking mornings like 5am till 9am. That's a big chunk of my time right there. Right. You have your evenings off, you can, um, you know, turn it in at the end of the day and say not my problem anymore. It's hard. It's hard to do from a from how I operate. Now there are agents who do that, right? They figure out the whole balance thing. I'm not good at that. Don't ask me about that. I'll be honest with you. I've interviewed a lot of top producers. I've been around a lot of top producers. I've met maybe one. That can like have. Has it kind of has it figured out. He's up here in Canada. Um, he's, he's got it figured out. And um, 
taken him 20 years to do it, but he's got to figure it out. Um, let me ask you a question. Sure. 90% churn rate in the business. Why, why you? you know, what do you mean 90% churn rate? You mean people getting their license and getting out? Is that the statistic? Like it's like, you know, that's, what, that's from NAR, maybe it's 85 or 90. It's, it's, wow, it's, that makes even, sense though. Even up here, it's the same, it's the same number, right? So, yeah. so what, this is difficult to pull out of someone sometimes because there's, there's so many different facets of the business. Basically, it's a PhD in business to be in this business. Yes. It is, period. Like by or far not, it is, it is, the, it is difficult. It's simple, but not easy. It, it's easy to get your license. Right. It's difficult to be successful consistently. Consistently. And so why, like, what is it about you that ha has developed the drive to be at this level, to perform at this level for such a long period of time? Um, and where, you know, other people, doesn't matter what gender, doesn't matter what it is, they just, they don't do it. I can, I can best equate it so anybody who knows me knows I think in analogies. And I think it's best equated to a diet and fitness plan, right? Like everybody wants to look good in their clothes or good in their bathing suit. But the work that it takes to do that is a lot of work. Like you have to always eat nothing, always eat horribly bland, you know, do all the things that get – like you can do it for a short period of time, but it's hard to do it a long period of time unless the desire to look good in that bikini <laughs> overrules the right. desire to eat. It's the same. It's the same with this. The desire to succeed and, and stay consistent um, is greater for me than the, okay, this is really difficult. I'm done. I, I want to go check out. I want to go on a vacation or something like that. And I really enjoy the action. I love it. Literally, just two minutes before um, the meeting started, I got an email and it said, hi, Stephanie, um, we don't know you, but we're thinking of relocating to Arizona and we'd like to talk to you. So, I mean, I was like, yay, you know, that just does it for me. Quickly sent off the email, I'll call you, you know, later. But it's, it's that I enjoy the action. I really do. What advice can you give someone um, who wants to enter the game? What is the best way to do that and then to actually stay in the business for, say, the next five years? Sure. Um, I think that the number one thing is to know yourself because there's a lot of different ways to do this. And what works for me might not work for the next person. You really have to understand who you are and if this is what you want to do. And maybe I would say to someone, you know, really explore what that means. I had no idea what I was getting into. No idea what I was getting into. And I didn't, I didn't have any business background. So it wasn't like I had had other careers and I could make a, a intelligent comparison. I mean, I went in blind. So I would say really understand. Because I think if, if the turn rate is, you know, 85 or 90%, I think it's because most people get in and they think, oh, gee, I only have to sell one house a month for, you know, a million dollars and I'm going to make all this money. How hard can it be? And then it's, you name that tune. It's not, it's, it's very hard. Um, and most people get out within two years, right? Two to, two to four years, I would imagine. When it takes you, your first two years should be, that's your internship. 
So you need to be prepared that you're not going to make any money or you should be prepared to not make any money for the first two years. That's your time to get educated and really learn the business. And if you make money in the first two years, great. But it's like any career that you go into, you can't expect to, you know, start and then just be on point. It takes time. So I think that, again, most people don't give it enough time to get past the breakwater, number one. Number two, when they realize, oh, my God, i got to work 80 hours a week. Like, to me, it's not work. It's one of my favorite sayings is work is only work if you'd rather be doing something else. So for me, this is what I enjoy doing. So it allows me to do it perpetually. If you get into real estate and you have the mindset that you can't wait to stop for the day, then it's probably not the right field for you. So I would say analyze yourself, be realistic about what this business is, and then make the decision. And if you can, if you can properly diagnose yourself uh, with um, if the business is a fit for you, then I think it's a no-brainer. Then it's just giving yourself time, learning the industry, learning how to navigate through all of the objections that you're going to come across, and then getting, getting past that break point, which takes time. One of the best pieces of advice I ever heard was um, you're a professional sorter of people. A professional, professional sorter? Of people. Yes. And you don't know when or how. You just know that it's going to happen. Yes. Over time, if I speak to enough people consistently about buying or selling a piece of property, in, in a way that makes them like me over time, yes. it will happen. Well, and not just like you, but feel comfortable with you and feel confident that you can best represent them. Right. If you were to pick a strategy today to generate new relationships with people, and I know you've been around in that area of the world for most of your life, you've practiced, I watched a video and you talking. Okay. So, um, what is the best way to develop new relationships with the advent of the internet search portals that are trying to eat the world? Um, yes. They will remain nameless. Um, what's the best way? Um, farming, hands down farming. Pick an area. I mean, it still comes down to people, right? Whether they find you online or they find you through a friend or what have you, but the best way is, I think, is farming, farming, farming. I mean, if you can, you know, you pick a location, you pick an area of 500 or 1,000 homes, and you canvas it regularly, it's, again, it's, it, it's like a diet, you know? There's really no secret. Just do the basics and stick to it, and you'll get there. Same, we pick a farm, farm it regularly, door knock, mail, drop, canvas, again, 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 again. After two years, anybody can go in and tie up any area. I'm convinced of that. Anybody can go into any area and tie up within two years. I think so. If they're consistent with it. And by the way, they have to, they, you have to be able to execute once you get, you'll get your foot in the door. Get the foot in the door. That's all you need. Yeah. I, then it's up to you to um, be able to perform. Mindset for you is, um, that seems to be a common denominator like that in every person who's producing at your level, there's a level of strength of character and mindset of, a, of, of confidence that it's almost like you won't be denied. 
And, and that's, and, and I mean that genuinely. And I'm like, how does someone develop that? I think over time, if you, yeah. if, you know, if you, um, well, Fred Astaire, right? They said that he and Ginger Rogers would spend eight hours. He didn't spend eight hours doing one dance step over and over and over till he perfected it. So then when you perfect it, then of course you can do it with confidence because you perfected it. So I think that that confidence comes with time and, you know, failing, <laughs> fail forward. You, you try, you fail. You try, you lose. You try, you, you lose to the person. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've failed. It's frustrating. <laughs> but if you keep at it, then you become more confident because you eventually you your failures your wins uh outweigh your failures right in the beginning you're failing more and then it gets like this and then it gets like this you know i've never asked anyone this question before and i, and I just for some reason it's coming to my mind um if you were to give me some advice today to say rich you need to talk to these many people assuming that you know how to talk right assuming you have some eq assuming you know how to you know communicate is there a number in your mind that someone would ha should be communicating every single day with a certain number of people if they want to break in? I don't know. I don't know what that is, but yeah. I would say, um, I mean, your gut. Ten people a day. At least ten. Maybe I don't know. Right. You know, I can tell you though when in the beginning when I didn't have a lot to do, um, I had no business, <laughs> uh, and I would I literally door knocking was in my calendar it, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 to 12. That was my appointment. So I was talking to however many people answered the door. And if they didn't answer the door, I would leave them notepad or you know, then send them a card afterward. Um, I would then go and find 10 people to write notes to, just a note in the mail. And you know, I think that still to this day, even with email, I find that getting something in the mail is so effective because if everyone is a lot like me, my email, it's just whack-a-mole. I just want to get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. Because there's so many, right? Like you, yeah. for me, I don't have time to read the emails. But if something shows up, if somebody takes the time with a handwritten note card and it shows up on my center island, I will read it. And I'll probably save it for a few days. So I think that that is impactful um, in communicating with people more so than email. Got it. When you look at your market, um, is there is what's the average uh, resale price there? So I'm in the San Fernando Valley, which is in the northern part of Los Angeles. We are the commuter um, area to the city, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, all of that, which is incredibly expensive. In fact, if I was to do something different, I would have just hopped my body over there and started over there. Um, uh, but I would say that the average price in the San Fernando Valley is probably $750,000 right now, $700,000. And my sales range, I don't discriminate. Most of my business is past clients and referrals. So I will sell, um, you know, my favorite story is a few, um, few years ago in the same month, we closed a whole bunch of deals and I looked at my sales and I started to laugh because I closed a $50,000 mobile home and a $15 million beach home in Malibu. So it was my absolute lowest sale of my career and my highest sale of my career in one month. Um, and it's because I don't 
discriminate. The client, I didn't want the $50,000 mobile home. I really didn't. It cost me money to do that transaction. But when that client, who was a really big client of mine, called me and said, Stephanie, I need your help with this property. It's a problem child for us. We had it listed with somebody else who's closer to the property than you are. So that's why we listed with them. They can't sell it. We know you can do the job. Will you do it? You, you, know, you can't say, no, just call me when you have the million-dollar property. I don't want your $50,000 property. You say, yes, I'm happy to help, and you service the client's needs, and then your own needs follow. When you get down, like, you know, and most people don't want to talk about when they get down. and when they get Oh, I get it. Yeah, I get pissed off and upset and uh, have a pity party frequently. Sure. Yeah. Like, how do you pull yourself out of, out of that doldrum? Um, either exercise, shoe shopping. Shoe shopping really works well. I mean, really works well because shoes always fit. And they're just, I don't know, shoe shopping. Um, or sleep. Go to sleep. Start over again the next day. Mine's Much better in the morning. What is yours? Bottle of wine. That works. Vodka. Yeah, that works next, too. The next day though doesn't work. Cocktail. <laughs> so can we go to COVID for example? Like, Okay, so this is okay. I'm just going to break it down what I'm getting from you. You better love it because this game is not about making money. You got to love the energy and the passion and, and, the, and the, the craziness of this game to, be, to operate at that level. Correct. If you don't, it, you can't do it. That's correct. What, you, you shouldn't do it. You, you shouldn't do it. If it's not a good fit, if it's not a good fit, you shouldn't do it. If you don't love it, you will just, you'll go nuts. It'll eat you up. Because there are moments when I've loved it and there's moments when I've just hated it. And the moments that I hated it, I, re- I thought, can I do this every day for the rest of my life? Oh, I think we all do that. I've gone through, I've gone through periods where you know, I'll have clients and they have this kind of a business. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's a better way to do it. And then I listen to them and I'll say, can I ask you questions about it? And I listen to them and then I'm like, oh, Stephanie, get over it. It's 80% is going to be good and 20% is going to just stink. So it's like that, I think, in any relationship, in any business endeavor, as long as the majority is really good, there's going to be stuff that's going to be difficult. There's going to be stuff that stinks about whatever industry it is that you're in. So, yeah. There's not many industries that you can go in. You don't own any inventory. You don't have any capital costs, really. You're boring the inventory. You're boring it. And then you make money on boring that inventory. Yeah. That's the way it's been described to me. And when that was described to me, I went, it makes sense. It does. A lot of sense, actually. Um, COVID, how are you going to deal with COVID going forward? Because, and I, the reason why I want to talk about this is because to create a peak result in the middle of a pandemic, this is a really important conversation going forward. Because if you're locked down again, how are you going to operate? Oh, that was so... For us in California, shelter in place hit March 19th. It was a Thursday afternoon when the governor, you know, came out at 5.30 in the afternoon saying, okay, that's it. Everybody's, you know, you're, you can't go out. It was such a bizarre concept. We were like, what? I remember, I remember who I was on the phone with, where I was, one of those major events. Um, and uh, real estate was in California was deemed non-essential immediately. But then a few days later, Real estate was deemed essential. But then a few days later, the mayor of LA, uh, LA County or LA City deemed us non-essential. But then a few days after that, they deemed us essential in Los Angeles. So 
we were like non-essential, essential, non-essential, essential. So um, within the first two weeks after shelter in place hit, I put 10 houses into escrow of which six promptly fell out of which four of those went back in. It was revolving door real estate because everybody was so frightened and the stock market was so wonky and everybody was just hiding under the bed. Um, and I freaked out and I thought, okay, this is really scary. And then after about, after about the second or third week, I thought, I'm gonna find a way to do this within the rules because I couldn't deal with how it was making me feel to feel helpless and not in control. So I figured out how can I be in control within the confines of what this is providing. And I just started and very delicately approached my clients that were, you know, my, my current clients who were taking so much more energy and time because the deals were all just going sideways. And then of course the new people or the people that I had been following up with, suddenly you couldn't just call somebody and say, hey, just check it in to see if you're ready to list. So I had to find another way to stay present without appearing, you know, what do you mean you're calling about selling my house? So I figured out, okay, I've got to be able to sell real estate with care and caution and come up with ways to, to do that. And I did. I figured it out for me, for what made me comfortable. And I had clients and I offered them solutions. Okay, we can meet via Zoom. We can, um, which I don't like, by the way. I think it's, it's so much better in person. It's hard to read the cues and the um, You can't the feel anything. Yeah, exactly. And um, I did have clients where I said, listen, I'll come see your house. Uh, you step outside. I'll run through the house. We'll stand out in the street and we'll stand 10 feet away and I'll give you all the information. Um, some people wanted to do that. Um, and then of course, as things have progressed um, and the shelter in place has morphed and then lifted, it's, it's, you know, it's going on appointments with masks, it's going on appointments with booties and gloves. Some people are more comfortable than others. Some people you know, still aren't. So it's really trying to understand how your client is most comfortable and again, just not like, I know a lot of agents who were just like, okay, we're out. We're just going to wait. Well, like, why? <laughs> For me, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And we did. We, uh, we basically, same thing. We were deemed essential, but no one wanted to see us, talk to us. You know, there was a real taboo around yes. conversation around real estate. And, um, and going forward, if we ever have that challenge again, I'm not sure how we're going to go talk outside when we have three feet of snow in January, in February. Ooh. Right. So that'll, that'll create a whole new dynamic here. Let me ask you a question. If you, their cases are, and this is a very topical moment in time because these cases are going up yeah. again. Um, if you have to shelter in place again or, or limited shelter in place, as a high producing agent, how do you navigate this? Like, what do you, what, what are you going to do? Carefully, very carefully. I mean, I think it's just going to, it's all about the communication with the client, right? If we're restricted, then we have to work under those restrictions. If people don't want to transact, then they don't want to transact. I mean, we had, um, a, in 1994, we had a huge earthquake here where literally it was, well, it was originally like 7.2 and then they, Politically, they downgraded it to 6.7 or 6.9. I mean, it was bad. And there was no way you could sell real estate because everything was collapsed and everybody was leaving the state of California. So 
you have to then again figure out how to navigate within those confines. So if we shut down again, then, then we shut down. And there's always going to be, so what I perceived happened when it hit here was it really became about mandatory sellers and mandatory buyers. All the riffraff stopped. People who were looking, maybe we'll move, maybe we won't, they were gone. But people who needed to sell because a family member passed away and they had a mortgage on the property and they needed to keep that, that, that process going. Um, and the people who were relocating and they needed a house. So it really became um, cleaner because the buyers and sellers were um, mandatory, not discretionary. Got it. So, it sounds like now's the time to work really, really hard. Yes. Just in case. Well, yes, but I mean, yeah, absolutely. And right I mean, now, you work really hard, but unless you have a big personal database, circle of influence, if that happens again, then you're, you know, the level of activity drops. And right. if a big enough database, the level of people that have to do something is bigger. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I think also if you don't have a big database or you don't, you're, in the, you're in the beginning part of your career and this, this happens, um, then I think it's planning. And how do you plan? Set up your mailers, set up your, your marketing that you're going to be doing. Find a way to reach out to people so that you just say, hey, you know, here I am just checking in on you. You know, we're just here to, to help when you're ready. If you're ready, find something to offer to them that can be helpful to them. That's great advice. If you were to um, start today, would you join a team? Or would you go on your own again? I know you're very strong and I get that, but if you were to start brand new today. So I think, again, it depends on your personality, right? Like um, uh, I was in, in sports. I was track and cross country. I was not a team player. So I'm, I'm more of a soloist, yeah. but that's my personality. So I think um, I want to do it on my own. I want to create it on my own. And that's me. Um, it really depends on who you are. And, you know, a lot of people don't want the responsibility to do it on their own. It's much harder that way, right, than joining a team. There weren't really teams when I started, so that wasn't even an option. So I, I guess I might be tempted to join a team if, if I was starting today, but my personality is pretty much solo. Um, you recently made a move, um, big yes. move, and um, and I think that just shows me that whatever level you're at, um, you're always looking to grow and change, um, and to expand your awareness about what's possible. Yes. Um, is having a coach important, and having someone in your corner important at your level? I think having someone in your corner is very important. Um, I think that. Uh, coaching can be very helpful uh, or somebody that you can bounce things off of uh, to to constantly improve. And I'm constantly looking for ways to improve. I'm constantly, I want you to send me that link of that other person you were telling me about. I mean, I, I always think there's a, a way to build a better mousetrap. Mm. So, yeah, and I think that it's always good to, it's easier when you have somebody to bounce it off of than trying, for me anyway, to try to figure it on my own talk to myself in my car. It's crazy. I do it all day long, all day long. Shiny ball. Is that going to work better than what I'm doing today? Right? Yes. <laughs> Every day. Um, online leads. Yes. Uh, 
in any business, I, I'm convinced. I'm convinced if we don't create a digital footprint in our world, and, I, and I'm going to tell you why, because my history has proven that to me. doesn't mean it's true for everyone, but the digital footprint is only going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. You agree? Um, should agents participate in those programs with the nameless portals? So um, the pay up front, I think, is a big rabbit hole. When you pay up front for leads um, monthly, that, that doesn't work for me. Um, I will do the referral on the back end, but you know, my thing is you put me at bat, I can hit. So, but I don't want to, I don't want to pay for these leads that I don't know. You know, I know agents who it works for, you know, again, there's a lot of ways to do this. So I don't want to say it's good or not good. It's just what, what works for you. But, um, I see agents who spend a ton of money every month and then, and then once you start doing it, you're addicted. What if I stop? How will my business change? What part of my business is really that? Because it's hard to quantify. So I'm good with the, you send me a lead, I'll give you a referral fee. I'm just personally not, I won't pay up front. I won't, I won't pay to have my information sold back to me. <laughs> I totally get what you just said. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> that was great. Um, if you were to... Um, give someone advice to um, beat you in your market. What, who and what do they, who do they have to be? To me, that's a, that's a, that's the question really important to me, but what, who do they have to be and what do they have to do? So uh, people that I compete with. So it's funny because about two years ago, a client said to me um, and really caught me off guard. He said, um, who's your biggest competition? And I was like, oh gosh, I got to give him a name. He wants to know the name, right? And I know he's going to call him. So I'm going to give away the worst, the, the, the person that I would not want to be up against. But then again, if I give them somebody that's not a performer, then they're going to call them anyway. And it's going to be like, it's not going to make sense. So what I actually did was I gave him the name and then I called that agent and say, listen, I'm going to, will you give me a referral fee if you get this listing? So I would figure I'd get something if I, if he liked him better than me. Um, but I think that the people that like, I'll know when I'm up against someone, it's someone who's similar to, to my style and someone who's similar to my work ethic. But I think the thing that sets me apart and I'll, I'll tell the client this is that uh, honestly, there's very few agents who consistently have the track record that I do. I've sold over 6,500 properties in my career. I've been doing this for 32 years. Good market, bad market, stable market. My, my performance is very boring and very consistent. So I challenge them to find someone else who will do that. Now, they may find somebody that they like because they sold them more houses on the street than I did, or you know, maybe the personality is just a better fit for them. Um, sometimes I've been told when I, when I lose a listing, I do like to find out why. And sometimes people don't give you a straight answer and sometimes they do. And I mean, I've been, you know, sometimes I'm maybe too intense or um, too, uh, they like more late. I once lost a listing and when I called the guy back, he said, you know, the other woman showed up in overalls and she brought me chocolate chip cookies. And I went, okay, I don't bake and I don't have overalls. So kudos to her. You're a wrong fit for me anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
you had mentioned in one of the videos that I saw that your systems and your admin staff are, uh, admin partners are um, the most important part of yes. this. You can't do what you do. Nope. Without them, it's, I can't, I need them. I mean, I think that um, nobody can be successful without people behind them and alongside of them. And so that's very important. And it is the hardest part of, um, of, of what we do. You know, there's, there's different ways that, that agents run their businesses. A lot of them have co-agents that they say, here you go, you run and do it. Um, I really like the, I like, I'm good at the marketing. I like listing property. So then I have support staff that helps me, most of which are licensed agents who used to sell real estate but had enough or wanted weekends and evenings off and a st stable paycheck. So that works, that works for me. And I have really good people. I'm very, very fortunate. I so appreciate you sharing with us because you're just reminding all of us that there is no substitute for someone getting dirty and, you know, like getting to work every single day and loving what they do. And unfortunately in the game of real estate, it's an 80 to hundred hour week if you want to perform at your level. Yep, absolutely. Do you know of anyone out there today that's performing at a level that doesn't work those many hours? Nope. Nope. I, I just want to dispel this myth. Nope. Because right? everyone thinks there's a magic secret sauce. There is a magic secret sauce and it's between your two ears, but um, you don't know anyone and you run in a very high level circle of age. Yeah, I do. All of the, only, the only people that I know maybe are the ones who do super luxury. Yeah. Um, you know, where their average sales price is 10 million. So they do a lot less deals, but to their credit, those are tough relationships to earn and tough relationships to keep. It's one thing to get a luxury listing here or there, but for those who are in the thick of it and they do it consistently, yeah, they may only do 10 or 12 deals a year, which I can do that with one hand behind my back, <laughs> um, but I can't do that price point. It doesn't exist in my market. Yeah, I think um, I think I, we recently closed on almost a four million dollar property, and that was humongous where we are. So, congratulations! Thank you. It was a really nice. Uh, average resale is probably five fifty, five sixty. Okay. That's North Toronto. Toronto, it's a million too. So, got it. Um, what's one last piece of advice you can give my listeners today about what they need to do to compete in this game for the next ten years? Know your craft. Okay. Know where your weaknesses are and work on improving the areas that you're deficient in on your skills. I appreciate you very much. You, um, you've created a four-minute mile-breaking thing for me um, because I know one person who was on our podcast um, in a small market outside Toronto who is doing the type of business you're doing. I never met a loan producer who's ever produced at this level. And... Um, it's really created a, a vision in my own mind. And I know for sure Canadian listeners, even though we're, you know, we're really starting to get a lot of listeners in the U.S. and overseas, Canadian listeners are going, what? They did what? How many deals did they do? And you're creating a new paradigm in people's minds. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And if someone wants to connect with you where you are, what's the best way to reach out to you out there? Uh, probably my cell phone. Would you like me to? Give that out. No, just give it to me and I'll put it in our show notes and they can look for it. My cell phone or my email. I'll sure. give it all to you. Thank you so much for everything. I really appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you for asking. 
Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you are fit to work with Peak Results Academy, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to peakresultsacademy.com slash call. That's peakresultsacademy.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what do you really want out of life and your business? Number two, what is not working for you today? And number three, the exact strategy you should be using to create massive change in these areas. Remember, changing your life and creating massive results does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We're helping clients all over the world create peak results in their health, in their businesses, and in their personal lives. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to peakresultsacademy.com call. We'll chat soon.